You are listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast. This podcast is for people who want to know the grace of God and how it changes the way we interact with the world. I'm your host, author Darlene Bojek, and in this episode, we are going to find seven ways to find grace in Leviticus. So Leviticus is the book of the law. In the Bible, Leviticus has probably the best reputation for being the least uh, red book, a place where people get stuck in the Bible the most. There was a man who was our gardener for a while. As I said, we live in Turkey. He'd never seen the Bible before. And we gave him a Bible when he first started working for us. And he would uh, read that Bible every day. And then he got into Leviticus. And Every time I'd go over there to bring him his dinner to his, the place he stayed, he would still have his bookmark in the same place in Leviticus. And I said, and I said, you know, you might want to read in John or, or one of the Gospels. He said, no, I want to read it in order. So he got stuck in Leviticus, kind of like slough, and never got through Leviticus. So Leviticus is... A very tricky book to read through without understanding a lot of the context. Um, why does there have to be all these laws and rules? Well, today we're going to find grace in Leviticus. Our words that we look for are the word Hanan and Chen, which are the two Hebrew words for grace. We're going to be looking for them in Leviticus. And guess what? Just like we found with Matthew and Mark, the word grace is not in Leviticus. Oh my goodness. But Darlene, you promised that we're going to see seven ways that grace is in Leviticus. Well, what we're going to review today is why there's no grace in Leviticus. So I would recall that the Bible talks a lot about grace and law. Grace and law contrasted with each other. So I went ahead into the New Testament and found the seven places where we find this contrast. Leviticus is a book of law. There, There is no grace, and we actually find that out um, in John 1, 17, it explains why there's no, not much grace explained in the Old Testament. It says in John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In contrast to the law from Moses, which is all those rules about leprosy and mildewed walls, and who you're allowed to marry, and how to organize your, uh, your life according to God's commandments. That was the demands of the people. And the law was given so that, another verse says, so that the trespass would increase. That's our second, uh, our second one we'll look at is Romans 5.20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
So the law was in the Old Testament in order to show that we are sinners. I understand that part a lot. I'm in search of grace, but in in that search, I need to understand what is the position of law. And then we'll talk a little bit about what grace means in light of Leviticus. So Romans 4.16, uh, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It says, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Because ultimately, the Old Testament is not available to people in all over the world. That limits our ability to obey the, the entire law. Okay, our fourth verse is Romans 6.14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And Romans 6.15 is the fifth one. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. So for, the, for that verse, we need the context. Uh, Romans 5, that we just read, mentions that grace abounds all the more when the sin increases. So the more you realize you're a sinner, the more grace will cover that. And so the very next verse in chapter 1 of, of uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then we jump ahead to verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Frankly, if, if the law, which would include, you know, the law written on our hearts, the conscience, if the law condemns us and just keeps condemning us, it does have dominion over us. It's pressing us down. But it says... For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So, since we are under grace, the law has no dominion. The rationale for this whole section is that um, the law makes us aware of our sinfulness, that the more sinful we are, the more those who are saved 
will realize how great grace is, and then we don't sin more to get more grace. We present our bodies to God and try not to sin, and we still abound with grace. Number six is Galatians 2.21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Galatians 2 is in the context of Paul telling his story about how he was accepted by the apostles in Galatians, and then how he opposed Peter. And then when he was talking about how he opposed Peter, he was talking about living by the law, which Peter, do you remember when, when Peter was um, being hypocritical, he, when he was with the Jews, he was being kosher, doing all the things he was supposed to do. When he was with the, the Gentiles, he was eating everything. And Paul was saying that he was being hypocritical. When he was with the Jews, he was being hypocritical because he was not actually eating kosher. So he shouldn't pretend that he was eating kosher. But the point was that he said to Cephas, this is the verse right before in verse 14, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he's pointing out that we are not to be in that case, it was about circumcision. We're not supposed to be living according to the, the dietary restrictions. In that case, the law, we, there's something else that has happened. And then in the context of that, he starts talking in Galatians. He starts talking right after that. In verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Leviticus has lots of different types of law. Some of them were community-based, like how to run the, run the camp. Some of them were government-based, how to govern the people. Some of them were details about how to do the sacrifice. Some were uh, ethical, um, how to behave toward one another. So just like the Ten Commandments has how to love God, or tells us the commands how to love God, which is one through four, and then how to love your neighbor, which is six through ten. In the same way, Leviticus is separated into different ways to love God, different ways to love your neighbor, including um, governing the society. So in this case, Paul is reminding everyone that it's not through works of the law that we would be justified. The Jews thought that their justification was through obeying all the laws, and that's the conflict Christ had with them, was that you are mistaken that you are being justified through those the purpose of the law, as we read earlier, was to lead us to God. In verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, 
then Christ died for no purpose. I'm getting stuck on the word nullify. I think he means here that he wants to live according to grace because if he doesn't, if he lives according to the law, then Christ died for nothing. Christ, then the whole sacrifice of Christ, the grace of God through Christ, is, is empty. If it was enough to live according to the law of Leviticus, then why would Christ have had to come? Our seventh verse is Galatians 5, 4. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So in Galatians 5, we have grace and law contrasted again. In the context, the beginning of chapter 5, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In the context of that verse, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away for, from grace. Question is, how does Leviticus teach us about grace? The word law is in Hebrew, three, three different ways in the, in the Old Testament. Sefer and Torah are the main two ways. There's another word called death, which is, um, I think, from Aramaic. And it's only used in Esther and Ezra. Otherwise, the two words that we see for law are sefer and Torah. Sefer is more of when they're talking about an actual book. Torah is the law from God. And we have in Leviticus... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen times. Seventeen times that the word Torah is directly referred to. Um, we have it, it introduces the the different sections of the offerings. This is the law of the sacrifice. This is the law for the guilt offering. This is the law for the sin offering. This is the law for the grain offering. This is the law for the burnt offering. This is the law. This is the law. This is the law. It always has that phrase. This is the law. This is the law. And it ends, the, the book of Leviticus ends with referring to the ordinances and laws which the Lord established. So the question is where specifically does Leviticus tell us about grace? What many people are not thinking about when they ask a question like that is that the sacrificial system in itself was atonement. It was a covering over, temporary covering over of sins. Each of the times that it says, this is the law of the burnt offering. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is saying, 
here's a way to cover over your sins. It's here's a way to cover over your sins. And the fact that it was repetitive, as Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us, the fact that it was every year or every time they sinned for the purposeful sins, they had to do it every time. The repetitive nature of it was a burden, sure, but it was a continual reminder that God is going to make a way. People like Abraham, who sacrificed Moses, who sacrificed people of faith in the Old Testament, specifically in the days of Leviticus, the people of faith were not saved through those sacrifices. The New Testament tells us that the people of those days were saved through faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses had faith in the Messiah. It says, uh, Hebrews eleven twenty three By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So we see that Moses had an awareness of the promised Messiah as he was doing these things. The promise of God that he would take care of the people included taking care of all of the the sin problem. So even as Moses had them doing these acts, they were an, they were acts to prepare the hearts of people to recognize that they were fully sinning and that it was God who was going to atone for their sins. And yet the fact that Leviticus was continual, it's a loop, like a catch-22, it's stuck in a loop, doing it over and over and over and over and over, and it only stopped when Christ came, grace came, like we saw in that very first verse that we talked about today. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and that's John 1.17. So what does this say to me about grace in Leviticus? To answer that, I need to bring up one of our comments. We have a comment from a listener who called in with an answer. Ruth is the name of this listener. Ruth said, Grace is kindness of spirit. The favor where God showed grace by forgiving me. He was kind enough and forgiving enough. God has a higher elevated desire to forgive me. He turns his face away from my stupidity, my mistakes. He's kind enough to ignore them. So here Ruth is referring to the favor and the, the, the leaning toward that we talked about. Show me favor, show me favor. Um, like when Abraham said to the angels, 
if I've found favor with you, do this for me. And God has showed favor by forgiving. He turns his face away from stupidity and uh, toward the people. So Leviticus reminds us that God is working with the people in order to have favor on them. You know, it was to Israel that he gave the law. That's showing favor. In fact, that reminds me of a verse, which is in Romans 3. What advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. There's grace for you. The fact that Leviticus was written, the grace of God, him leaning toward Israel, favoring Israel, making Israel his only child, his, his, his mouthpiece. Grace is that there is a book of Leviticus. There's a verse that comes to mind where God says, out of all the nations did I not choose you. And out of all the nations, he chose them to carry the burden of the law. And during the Roman times, the Pharisees became trapped by that burden. They became kind of all wrapped up with the burden thinking, I mean, desiring so much to please God. But where the trespass increased, grace increased, or the desire for forgiveness. You remember that Simeon and Anna were at the temple when they saw Jesus. What were they doing at the temple? I mean, the temple represented the law, but they were waiting for the Messiah. You know, the the temple was where the law was practiced, but they were waiting for the Messiah. And listen what Simeon said in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been repe- revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death in, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A few verses later, it says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Some people think what they were waiting for is a 
political leader, but the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. Yes, part of it was having the land back and not having pagans in the land, but salvation. You have, like Simeon says, salvation that you have prepared, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So it's for Simeon, it's more than just simple political rescue. He is seeing that God has turned his face to Israel, favored them all these years through the ups and downs that we see in the Old Testament. And here he says, when he takes Jesus up in his arms and blessed God, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. So for for Mary and Joseph going to the temple, they were obeying the law, and that enabled Simeon to see the Savior. They were obeying the law. They were bringing grace, in a sense. They were bringing grace into the temple. For the first time, the word of God in the flesh was brought into the temple. And there, Simeon grabbed onto him. Anna grabbed onto him and said, this, behold, this is our salvation, the salvation of Israel, the consolation. Console them, for the for their burden is heavy. Consolation makes me think, um, there's a note from that it's from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 57, 18, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. Listen to 40, Isaiah 41. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So this is the introduction that John the Baptist gives crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. And there is Simeon waiting for the comfort of Israel through salvation. And how did he know it was a child? He heard, he knew Isaiah's prophecy, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. God with us. Somehow Simeon understood. So Leviticus leads us all the way to uh, through Romans and Galatians and Book of John takes us here to uh, Luke and to Isaiah. Leviticus takes us to Hebrews. Leviticus, finding grace in Leviticus, takes us all over the Bible to find that the Book of Leviticus was written in order to see our sin. And by seeing our sin, we, we look up, we lift our face up to God, looking for his salvation. And he sent it in the body of his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the book, book of Leviticus is very difficult to get through. And we often um, get bogged down in it. But the fact of Leviticus has given us a lot of thought today. 
You've given a book to the people Israel. You, you chose a people from out of all the nations. You chose a people. And from that people came your Messiah. You chose a people and you gave them a law so that they could see their sin. And many people were able to continue with faith, living in faith in light of the law. Though they kept the law, they knew that the atonement would come from you. And we thank you that Simeon was there waiting for the consolation of Israel, that the consolation, the comfort from that burden of the law, from the growing guilt of not um, not being able to keep the law completely, being reminded over and over that they're not they're not keeping the law right, not keeping the law right, um, being reminded over and over, needing comfort, comfort my people, Israel. The they had that promise, and Simeon was there in the temple, and Simeon um, was able to see your your son when he came. I pray that we would uh, approach the coming holidays as well, thinking about um, the consolation that you bring, and that that we would be eagerly uh, sharing that with our with our neighbors, because this grace. The, the favoring of of the people of Israel and the favoring of of Simeon, the favoring of anybody who knows about Jesus comes through that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a new question of the week. How does the rest of the world understand grace? You can find show notes for this episode, including links to the seven verses we talked about and the other verses as well. You can find them at graceandmercypodcast.com. Also, feel free to answer any of the previous questions of the week on the show notes. Thank you for listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast with author Darlene Bojek. This has been episode six of season one, Finding Grace. See you next time.